Great friend of the show. It's Tim Frank here on Iron Sports, Director of Communications for the NBA. I'm Mike Balsamo. It's 731. This is the True Oldies Channel. So I'm to bring in a very special guest. Very glad to have uh, him here with, with us today. It's Warren Bakke, PGA Master Professional, maybe most famously known for, you know, training a little guy named Brooks Kepka. happens to be uh, number one in the world. Um, so, Warren, thank you so much for joining us here today on Iron Sports. Thanks, Mike. Glad to be here. Nice to see you, Ira. Yeah, no, um, so I've got a million questions for you, and I'm your average weekend hacker, so I could talk to you for, for weeks and weeks and probably, you know, shave some um, strokes off, but I, I do want to know, you know, you've inspired and started so many people's lives and journeys with golf. How did you get started playing golf? Well, I was fortunate. I was a young boy. I lived close to a golf course, and a lot of journeys start with caddying, mm -hmm. and I had the opportunity to caddy when I was 11 years old, and uh, you know, upstate New York, and I was up there and uh, fell in love with the game. I was always inquisitive of how people hit the golf ball, whether they're short, tall, long, fat, whatever <laughs> whatever they were. They always seemed to have a different swing, and they found a way to get the ball in the hole. And uh, I, I gave it a, a shot as far as trying to be a player and uh, realized these guys are really good, and I wanted <laughs> to be more of a coach. I got, you know, more of my passion of helping people. Uh, Warren, you know, you brought up different people's swings, and that makes me think, you know, a lot of swings look beautiful to me. Some look super unconventional. Do you think there's a perfect golf swing? I don't think so. I think you can get, um, you know, set up properly, and that's mm -hmm. the one thing we worked with Brooks is three things, posture, grip, and alignment. He uses them every day, and uh, I think if you learn how to set up to the ball correctly and then where the club goes from there, the moment of truth is impact. Uh, Matt Wolf, he's out there and it's kind of a unorthodox swing. Yeah. You know, Jim Furyk. So I mean, you you know, however way you get it done, get it done. But when you get down to the ball at impact, everything has to line up correctly. When did you know that um, you know you wanted to? So you you tried as a pro, didn't go the way you wanted it. So you knew from there you wanted to keep your career golf oriented. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I turned professional. I was 19, and I I would say from 21 to 23. I tried a little bit, you know, played some mini tours, did that kind of thing, and uh, I started to realize more and more I wanted to teach. I really didn't want to play, uh, you know, competitively, and mm -hmm. from there on, the rest was history. You can learn more about Warren on his website. It's warrenbotkegolf.com, B-O-T-T-K-E. Ira, what do you have uh, for Warren? Well, Warren, uh, the quote that Brooks said about you, he goes, Warren is the real reason I'm into golf. He is a mentor. I enjoy spending my time learning from him. And that's a great quote. I mean, not just saying he's teaching, he said, I enjoy my time learning from him. Uh, talk about that. Well, I think, you know, I, I had the opportunity to start working with him when he was 10. Uh, Bob, his dad, I worked with him all his life. Uh, uh, and at the age of 10, Bob turned him over to me and said, look, he's all yours. And uh, you take him from there. And from 10 to 18, you know, eight years is a lot of time, and those are very, very formative years in a young boy's life, and we just had a connection and a chemistry, and to this day, we, you know, we, we kind of still have that. Um, I saw something where you write write everything down, and I'm like that too. I love to write. I got that from my father. We write everything, with, we do write everything, and I'm shocked. I mean, you, have, you still have everything, every lesson, it seems like notes that you took, and, and Brooks took to that, the whole writing things down that you said. Yeah, that was one of the first things I told him. I said, I want you to make a journal. I want you to write things down because you're gonna forget half of what I told you today. And then you're going to forget 50% of the 50 or 25 of the 50% next week. So you're only going to retain 25%. So I got him into the habit of writing, jotting some stuff down. And then I've always recorded the notes 
on five by seven index cards and I still have those cards and now I sit back and go well 10 years from now fast forward if he's the best golfer that ever lived those could be pretty valuable <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's 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 it would be like the notes that uh, like the Beatles wrote when they were doing their song right their, exactly their songs. <laughs> um and one of the things you first taught him I was uh, during the interview I saw is that about cleaning always the sand from so uh, from his club and he has an interesting way when he putts he has two practice putts and then he puts up his his head golf head the putter head and then cleans or whatever rubs it with his hand and then puts it down and that was from you yeah that was a, a unique story about 13 14 years old you know the golf courses down here in florida they airify the greens and then they top dress with a light you know dusting of sand and i told him i said never fool yourself you never know if a particle of sand will be you know wedged in on your putter and that will divert the ball offline so make sure it's always clean and so he will take three practice wings look at it wipe the putter off put it down, look at the hole, and then go. And he's done that ever since 13, 14. <laughs> and all the announcers, other people, were kind of going, what, what's he doing? And now I was watching the uh, tour championship yesterday. There's four or five guys that wiped the butter down. <laughs> so maybe he started a, a, you know, a, new, a new theme. Definitely. And, and I like what he said, and, and because I, I like to go to the driving range. I go to t tournaments all across this country. I was at six tournaments this year, and I love going to the, the range and watching them hit. And it's amazing. I, when I saw Jordan Spieth in the middle of the U.S. Open, like tinkering with his stroke and coming everything. And you see, and even when Tiger talks about it, it's even more, he tries to complicate it. And I what, something that struck me about what Brooks said, he goes, Warren helped me simplify golf. So here's a guy, here's an 11, 12 year old coming and you said, I'm going to make it simple for you. Talk about that a little bit. Well, it's always the old acronym, you know, KISS, keep it simple, mm -hmm. stupid. And I always tried to kind of keep things, you know, very light, use a lot of acronyms that would resonate. So you would remember them. Sometimes they're rhymes, things like that, that, you know, that will fall back and kind of stick to you. And I just saw an interview uh, last week, and he talked about, you know, PGA posture grip and alignment. He still uses it. He uses it every week, every day out on the range. Because I told him, I said, look, if you're set up to the ball improper, your body will find a way to compensate, and your body takes the path of less resistance. So if you can get yourself and your line set up properly, you're going to have a good chance of hitting a solid, consistent shot. Yeah, so you're... In the 2018 South Florida PGA Golf Hall of Fame, uh, 2017 Teacher of the Year, and uh, PGA National, the Horton Smith Award winner almost every single year. So one of the greatest teachers of golf we have right here. Talk about not everybody is has a son like Brooks Kepka that comes to you and, and is this talented. In terms of getting youth, not only, I would say, youth to play golf, but actually interested even getting out there the first time. What, are, what can be more done to, to help get youth playing golf? Well, you got to keep it fun and you got to, you know, we don't really like to specialize in the sport till they're 10, 11 years old. So if you have an eight or nine year old, we want you to go ahead and spend some of the time golfing and then have a, you know, a secondary sport where you can go out and play. And what you end up doing is you start to work on different motor skills mm -hmm. and you start developing different things. So running, skipping, hopping, jumping, you know, pushing and pulling and doing things like that or only developing the brain and your muscles and your motor program to help you then be able to use that later in golf. 
do you find that kids today, because of the distractions of video games and the smartphones and everything, is, is it harder to connect with them in golf? Or, or, you, or is it something about it that might connect better to them because of, of the of maybe the video games leads them to play golf? Well, that, that too. And I think it gives them a break. Maybe it gives them a chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of parents out there with six, seven, eight-year-olds that are really trying really hard. And they think the harder I, I make them play, the better they're going to get. But you got to <laughs> let them be a kid. Do you think there's a, a significant advantage to starting at that eight, nine-year-old age? Or you know, can you start working with someone at 17, 18 who's never picked up a golf club before and get them to the same level? It, you know, you can kind of lose a little bit of the traction back there. You know, you're kind of being behind the eight ball a little bit trying to get it going, right? Mm. But, uh, you know, I've had some great players come at 16, 17 that were secondary sports where maybe they had an injury. Mm. I had a downhill racer who used to, was a junior Olympian, blew out an ACL for the third time. Yeah. And his dad said, you're done. <laughs> you know, why don't you pick up golf? And he's very close to getting a golf scholarship, you know, and he, it was only 18 months we had to work. So we had to work really hard, but he was a gifted athlete that he could connect to it pretty quickly. And that, that says a ton about your skills as well. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, we got to work together, right? Again, we're speaking to uh, Warren Botke, PGA professional, uh, master professional. You can learn more at warrenbotkegolf.com. This is Iron Sports on the True Oldies channel. What else you got, I? Um, well, Brooks went to Florida State to play, and we just talked about college golf. Um, talk, it's, it's, when you look at the Pro Tour, a lot of Americans have gone to, even you know, Tiger went to Stanford a year, and it seems like it's that college golf experience has been a very good, valuable uh, learning tool for them instead of just jumping right into the Pro Tour. Yeah, I, I think you see other sports, okay, with the NBA and the NFL and Major League Baseball where they cut out of college second, third year, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't see that too often on the PGA Tour where they give up their senior year to go turn professional. And the reason is uh, the collegiate golf is so competitive that it's almost like a mini, you know, tour event. And it's good for them to learn. It's good to work with people skills. It's good to time management. And it really prepares them a little bit more than taking somebody bypassing college and trying to go out there. And how many uh, pro golfers have their uh, alma maters on their golf bags? <laughs> <I'm gonna see. laughs> I'll tell you, a lot of them do because they, you know, they really love it. They kind of drink the Kool Aid. Ricky Fowler with his orange on uh, Sundays, you know, right, represent exactly. Oklahoma State, mm-hmm. <laughs> and Tiger with red. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that yeah. that's for Stanford, red and black. Huh, I never thought about it, but you were mm-hmm. absolutely correct. And then, so Brooks went, and he took an inter- a different route a little bit after college because he went to the Challenge Tour in Europe. Uh, talk about that in terms of when you talked to him about going, why did he make that decision to go to Europe to play rather than, than stay in America? Well, it, you know, the tour made a shift right then with the web.com and how you go ahead and qualify for your card. And um, he wanted to, you know, take a different route and go out there. And, and at age 22, goes out to, to Europe and plays in Golly, I don't know. I think it was 20 different countries or 22 different countries and from Turkey to India to China uh, to Africa to Kenya. And, uh, you know, he grew up quickly and it really, really helped him a lot. But it was lonely. It was scary at times for him at different intervals. And I remember one time, I think it was from Turkey, he called and uh, we would text and call periodically. And he says, hey, I'm done. I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> wow. And I'm like, no, you can. Because you told me when you were 13 you were going to play in the Masters, and if you give up now, you can't get there. <laughs> and he's like, you're right. So, awesome. uh, I mean, you know, so, you know, sometimes a boost of confidence like that always helps. 
So in 2014, he was fourth at the Open, so people started hearing him. And then in 2015, he won the Phoenix Open, which is the first tournament. But then certainly the, the last <laughs> three years has been, it's almost Tiger-esque in terms of the run in majors and winning four majors. And not just winning the four majors, but being in competition in all the other majors. Uh, to the point that Rory McIlroy yesterday said, I tried to play like Brooks Kepka. I thought that was, <laughs> that was his quote. It, it is, it's like all of a sudden there's been this shift where for, it was a guy flying under the radar, unnoticed, uh, really not given much media attention to all of a sudden now an icon and him even coming out and saying I could win 10 majors. So he won the US Open in 2017 but then he got injured his wrist spot for before 2018 he didn't even play in the Masters and people forget that he didn't play the 2018 Masters and, and a wrist injury that could have been derailing the fact that he came back from that. Yeah he was very nervous very worried it was for four months he sat on the couch and I don't want to say he ever got depressed, but he said he got lonely, he got frustrated, and to watch the Masters from his couch wasn't what he wanted to do. But uh, he got good news. He didn't need surgery. If he had to have surgery, he was going to miss a whole year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I said, hey, look, if you have to miss a year, you're only missing one year. You're only 20, you know, eight at that time. What's one year? But, it, you know, fortunately with, you know, rehab, great doctors, great rest, he came back out, and he really fell in love with the game even more sitting there thinking and going, you know, I really like this. This is what I want to do. Well, he won the U.S. Open, and then you were excited because he won the PGA Tournament at Belvere and uh, Valerie, I'm sorry, and that was that meant a lot to you, being a PGA Tour professional. Yeah, well, being a PGA member of the PGA of America, I mean, I've been a member now almost 40 years, and, I, you know, it's been my life. Mm -hmm. And uh, for him to come and win my tournament, our tournament as the association, it meant a lot to him and it meant a lot to me and for him to single me out and give me that shout out you know <clears throat> uh, at the PGA was you know it was really heart-wrenching so then you go to 2019 and and one of the greatest years a, a two and a masters that won the PGA in Beth Page and, and you you went there for the so this was the, the first major you were actually at the event and walking with now what when in the I was there in the final round uh, and did you what when he had four brogies in a row <laughs> did you, were you were you given some hint, help or helpful ideas or what I don't know if maybe it was my presence but uh, <laughs> You know, I was there on Tuesday night. I was up at the uh, the past champions dinner. I wanted to be there and, and see him experience that. And then I was there all week and saw him Thursday. He shot 63 and then Friday shot 65. And Friday night I left him and I said, hey, look, you know, I got to go back. I got, I got a job. I got to do something, you know. He's like, you know, I really appreciate you being here. And I understand. I said, look, I don't want to jinx you. I wasn't there last PGA. You go ahead and just do what you did. And after Saturday night, you know, we had a seven-shot lead. I'm like, I got to be there. <laughs> I'm like, I got to go up. Then I thought, well, maybe I jinxed him by coming back, you know. <laughs> but uh, to your point, uh, geez, you know, the front nine, after 10, he knocked it in there about seven inches and uh, had a six-shot lead. I'm thinking, okay, now we're ready to go. And then he peeled off four what, straight bogeys. And, uh, you know, the, the crowd shifted. They started to, you know, chant DJ, mm -hmm. DJ, DJ. And then... You know, I down the 14th green, I looked him in the eye. He didn't know I was there because uh, I told him I wasn't coming. And I surprised, I wanted to surprise him. And uh, so I was kind of incognito the whole time. And I, I saw the look in his eye, and it, he was more surprised because two things happened. He ever never had made four bogeys in a row, <laughs> and he never had a seven-shot lead. And now all of a sudden it's down to one. 
And when I saw him hit the tee shot on 15, he roasted it. I knew right then and there he's going to be fine. I could just tell his demeanor, the way he walked, that this is okay. And 30 seconds later, DJ bogeyed 16. Then he bogeyed 17. We went from one to three shot lead with two holes to go, and then I knew. That's amazing because you did feel like that on watching it on TV. Something clicked with Brooks, and I said to myself, and we talked about it after the fact, you could tell he was just dialed in from that point. It was kind of saw it after seeing you. Yeah, it was kind <laughs> of crazy. like one of those things where you just you know got hit by a heavyweight boxer. Mm. He kind of gave you one of those dings, and, and you got stunned, and you go, wait a minute, I have to finish this <laughs> off, you know, and, and he did. I thought it was that tournament was great for him because not only is he he's paired with Tiger for the first two rounds Correct. and the fans were going crazy and I think he plays with Tiger better than anybody mm -hmm. in terms of I'm sure there's we can look at statistics but he enjoys playing with him enjoys the crowds enjoys it and and does is not bothered whereas I think some other golfers when they're paired with these crowds it's just too much that you notice they're either trying to get to the tee first to hit if they're hitting first they want to just hit the ball before his crowd gets there and if they're hitting second then they're all tied up and after Tiger hits then, then they have they don't ever want to go second because after Tiger hits everybody starts walking and they get distracted but he seems comfortable no matter what in terms of what that's happened. And isn't bothered that Tiger is getting, of course, all the, the, the fans that are there. But then on Sunday, to have blow that lead and then have everybody screaming for DJ, uh, that he still was able to fight back that back. And they're saying, DJ, DJ, it was so loud. But then I saw when he hit on 15, you, you could hear, right, 30 seconds later, the groan. So he must have known that something happened because DJ missed the putt. Because it, and it's so loud at Beth. It was so congested at that point crossing mm -hmm. the road. Well, he, when he, after he crossed the road, he hit his tee shot. If you walk about 75 yards from the tee box, you're right by the 16th green. And he actually saw him miss the putt. Oh, okay. oh wow. So he knew walking up the fairway that he picked up another shot. And then he hit the next shot on, two putted, and, you know, then he was ready to go. He made his first par in five holes and started feeling, okay, we're mm -hmm. all right here. Well, that was a, another tremendous win and, and for him. And But I guess, I mean, it, it, I like the fact also that every time he wins, he thanks you. He's always mentions you. It's in every interview. Uh, I think that's just wonderful. I mean, you would see, because I think we're growing up about these players in tennis. You hear about, like, Sloane Stevens fired her coach and all this stuff. You hear everybody's <laughs> firing coaches. They're all getting in fights all this time. And, and here you have been, I mean, I'm close, like, to my sixth grade teacher. I had a sixth grade, and I go back to Penn State games, and we watch Penn state games together and I always check in with him and I think it's important like that but I think that that Brooks's relationship with you is it just shows you what type of person he is that he really knows where he came from and and and, and his appreciation for you every time he wins he always thanks you yeah it's kind of unique I mean uh we just connected you know from day one and the fact that he knew his dad and I are very close so I'm like a second dad to him he's mentioned that many times and the fact that, you know, when, every time we get together, we feel comfortable around each other. And uh, for him to constantly keep doing that, it just shows you how genuine and how honest and open and transparent of, of a person he really is. And that's what's so unique because a lot of these touring professionals, uh, top athletes in other sports, they forget where they came from. Mm -hmm. And they get lost in all the hype. And, and Brooks hasn't. And I've given him a couple life lessons growing up, and he remembers them, and he recalls them, and because of that, it resonates where it's a flashback, and he goes, I will never forget you, and I can never thank you enough. And I said, no, you said thank you once. That's all. <laughs> you don't have to keep saying thank you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's great. Well, he, he seems to play with it 
he definitely has a chip on his shoulder because mm-hmm. he doesn't get the has not as winning four majors. I mean, people forget that Mickelson won five. I mean, he's at a level now. I mean, where Arnold Palmer. I mean, he everything is in, in I mean reach of what he's able to do. And it seems like everybody's criticizing. Well, he won this. He won that. I mean, the excuses are ridiculous when he's always in the in the hunt for in the majors. Um, is that is that chip on the shoulder? Is it sometimes he manufactures it, or does he does he feel that? Do you think or? Well, I think he felt it in the beginning, and now he liked the comfortable feeling of it. So I think he goes back into that that mindset. Uh, he was doing it for majors, and now all of a sudden is coming into other tournaments. He now has a chemistry and a formula of how how to make that happen. And I think the chip was, in the very beginning, a little insecure, saying, hey, look, I belong out here. I'm winning. What else do I have to do for you people? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, now I've done it. I've won four majors, and you're still, you know, <laughs> doubting me. You know, how, how come? You know, and now all of a sudden, you know, when you win, he just won. It was announced today that, you know, he's player of the year for the second consecutive year. Uh, he's number one. He's been number one now for almost four months. He does not want to lose that. <laughs> he wants that, and he wants to make it stick. <laughs> well, I mean, it's I. His, they, someone interviewed him after PG after the Beth Page, and the interview was so bad. It was a poor interview because they said, "Well, you win these majors, but you don't really try in the other tournaments." And like, is that a problem? Like, why aren't you trying harder? Whereas. Any other golfer, they're like, well, they realize they're playing other tournaments to prepare for the majors. Like, if they win the other, that's great. But even Tiger, who won more tournaments than anyone, always mentions, hey, look, I'm here to prepare. I'm get, This is going to be playing for the majors. But somehow, Brooks is a higher standard than even what Tiger has to have, that he has to win every tournament or something like that. I thought that was totally unfair to criticize the fact that he's won three other non-major tournaments but four majors. Right, exactly. And I think people aren't counting. You know what else he has done and and like i said uh the year he had here pretty much solidifies everything of any doubters or you know doubting mm-hmm. thomas is out there because all you know all the numbers the history of, of the things he's done this year you know he's broken history and a lot of different things and now he goes back to maybe three pete the pga championship in san francisco where I think it's only been done once, but it was in a match play situation, so I don't think anyone's done it in a stroke play. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a couple of questions for you. Well, I mean, I, I do want to know what's your favorite golf course here in South Florida. I'm sure you've you know played some of the best in the world, but right here we've got some of the best in the world. So, you know, what, what's your favorite uh, track here? Oh my gosh, there's it's that's a hard question because you know South Florida is a mecca yeah. of golf, and there's so many great courses. I mean, obviously Seminole is right there, uh, MacArthur, Jupiter Hills. Uh, I mean, those are three that just come right to my head. I mean, PGA National, we have the champ the course. Champ. I mean, the Honda Classic has taken another look than it's ever had. It, it carries itself well. We're getting better. Uh, players out there, the course is getting tougher, and some people shy away from it. They're scared of it because it, if the wind comes and the rough is high, they don't want to go out there and shoot eighty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've actually, um, yeah, one of my highlights of my career is actually um, birdieing fifteen. You know, obviously from the whites, right? Still, you know, it feels pretty good to know how difficult those are. I want to talk about the Honda Classic for a second. I've been fortunate enough to cover it um, for about a decade now, mm-hmm. and I remember Ken Kennerly, the director of the Honda Classic. We were at the media day before it started, and he's announcing um, exemptions where they get to invite whoever they want gets a spot. And he invited this young kid named Brooks Kepka, and he said to everybody, remember this name. 
this guy's going to be something special. This must have been, what, seven or eight years ago, I guess. And, you know, it kind of brushed it off at the time. And then, you know, slowly but surely, it's like, wow, they were right about this kid. And it was amazing. I mean, I'm sure you remember when this happened. I don't even remember how he played because, Mm -hmm. you know, nobody knew who he was then. But that was like, uh, you know, looking back on that, it's a great moment in my life. And I'm sure, you know, for you, it was like exciting to have him playing in your backyard. Oh, yeah, it was definitely. I mean, I wasn't at PGA National at the time. But, uh, you know, I, I followed him and watched him play and stuff like that. And it was his really big first arena that he that he played in. And he handled himself very well. And he knew, hey, I belong out here. And this is what my dream is. So it was really cool. And Ken, he does such a great job with yes, the Honda. And doing those special exemptions for people around the area that are deserving. It's been neat. Uh, Ira and I both love the Honda Classic. It's like all, all year I wait for, for Honda Classic week. Um, it, it, it's interesting how things worked out last year, you know, with the scheduling, that it's becoming more difficult to get some players. And I know, Ira, you wanted to talk a little bit about the, the Honda as well. Um, is there anything that they can do, you know, and I think you said next year the scheduling is going to be difficult as well. Is there anything they can do to try to get um, some of these, you know, super huge Tiger Woods types back there? Yeah, I mean, I, I know right after the event, I mean, Ken was a little frustrated uh, because we didn't have the names that we did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, with the Mexico thing, you know, with yeah. Trump going over, you know, to, to Mexico, the row, uh, that, that whole thing kind of convoluted the waters a little bit. So they're, they're trying to do what they can. But, you know, these tournaments are pretty much in stone and, they're, and it's hard to shake it up. Yeah. And uh, the tour knows it's a, it's a favorite place. Uh, Honda has been a sponsor for 38 years. It's the longest holding sponsor, mm-hmm. you know, on the tour. So they don't want to lose that. So they're trying to, they feel like they have some horsepower behind it. So they're, they're in the works of trying to see what they can do. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do to do it. I know some tournaments do appearance money and different things like that. I don't know if that's the, the answer, but we have so many. I think we have somewhat like 60 golf professionals that live in Palm Beach County, it's Martin crazy. County, and this is a home field, you know, game for them. It's a way for a lot of their charities to be recognized at the Honda Classic. And, you know, we, we, we hope that they give back as we give to them. Well, there, there was a period of time when the Honda wasn't drawing the names. And then when Tiger moved and everyone else started moving around here, right. suddenly you look at even like Patrick Cantlay lives in West Palm Beach. I mean, it is just shocking how many West Palm Beach. If you just had the Honda Classic and said, you have to live in West Palm Beach to play in the tournament, <laughs> it would still be one of the best tournaments of the year. Right. Um, it's a shame because all of South Florida doesn't have a tournament. Now, one of the problems is that you can't play in July and August, June, July and August. And that limits it and there's too many tournaments that are trying to to play in that early part of the season because they could probably there is some space later on and uh, but it's a shame that i just want with all these players here this tournament could be uh, one of the elite like under the players tournament yeah we were looking at it as the sixth major yeah i mean because the players is probably the fifth and you know if you play it later in the year like september october after the you know the fedex cup the guys are tired and they don't want to, you know, get geared up and start up with that. We have hurricane season and things like that. It's still hot. A lot of people are away, so the gate would be a little bit light. And then, uh, like I said, they wanted to keep it in the Florida swing. That was the tradition mm-hmm. to have a Florida swing. So I don't know what the answer is. I mean, you know, change is good. I mean, look what happened with the PGA in May. And then look with the players in March. I mean, people are accepting it. I think it's one of those things you kind of get – 
you got to get you know kind of shuffled in and get settled and then once it gets settled for a year or two then then the traditions will come back once again, we're speaking with Warren Botke, PGA Master Professional on Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. You can learn more about Warren at warrenbotkegolf.com. So you can look at someone's swing and tell that there's something wrong here. But golf has to be the most mental game on the planet. So how do you coach someone through something mental? I, I couldn't imagine how you'd even begin to you know, try to straighten that stuff out. Yeah, well, mental, it's, uh, you know, when you have something where it's a mental block, you know, we could call the S word, you know, the shanks and, and, and talk about that. It's like almost like a, a CD, you gotta eject it and you gotta put something else in there to kind of get that out. And, um, you know, it can be the yips and putting, it can be duck cooking it with a driver. So you gotta kind of sit down and you gotta change the mindset and then you also gotta make it fun with a game or a task so where that they can do a skill set to where they can erase it and then it doesn't come back and haunt you. Warren, what would be your um, your tip or your pointer to the average weekend hacker? Like 99% of us are, we go out there, we hope to break 100 and you know have some fun with our friends. What would be your tip to those guys to, to shave some strokes? Well, I, I, you know, I think first of all, you gotta make sure you have the right equipment I mean, sometimes people just grab stuff off the rack and, mm -hmm. you know, that might not be very suitable for them. And then, you know, you're giving yourself, you know, a disjustice to not to go and get a golf lesson and try to at least understand what you're trying to do. What, how do I look? How am I physically set for this? You don't have to get 100 of them, but maybe one or two to kind of get you a head start, let you work on it a little bit, then circle back if you have the right guy and the chemistry and everything goes well, then start a relationship with a person and have a coach. I mean, if the guys on tour that are playing for millions of dollars every week yeah. have a coach, <laughs> why wouldn't you have a coach? <laughs> it makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Well, I have one final question. You, you know, since you do this for a living and you have been, like you said, for over 40 years, been a member of the PGA, do you ever not want to play? You know, someday, I love radio, but some days it's like, ah, I'm really tired today. Do you ever feel well, like that? You know, a lot of days I'm tired coaching. And, you know, my, my golf has suffered a little bit because <laughs> of the fact when you're out there seven, eight, nine hours in the heat, the last thing I want to do is run out there and play nine holes. Yeah. So to your point there, yes, but there's a lot of mornings I get up and go, wow, I can't wait to go out and play 18. And then when you bring in places like Seminole, Pebble Beach, places like that, you can't wait to get out there and play. <laughs> Era. Yeah, I just um, to, we're talking about the mental side, and I, and the top something that's been the topic, and Brooks has been at the forefront, and is on the pace of play. Uh, and I think in uh, my comment has always been, I think that the top players, the Justins, the Rorys, and the Brooks now play fast, yes. and they like to play fast. And now you have some players, Bryson or whatever, who play much slower than. And now you're running in an area where I think the top players are like, look, we got to get this moving. And of course, television partners don't want to see someone take 20 minutes between a shot. Um, where do you see the game going on this whole pace of play? It's finally, I think there's they're going to start maybe enforcing the rules next year. Yeah, they have to. I mean, why why put a rule out there and then not do something with it? The European Tour has taken a hard look at it. They're going to start putting some new inroads into it next year, and the PGA Tour is definitely in. I think when you hear the players pipe up and say, you know, we're disgusted with this, it has to change, then I, I think you're going to have enough horsepower behind it where they're going to start fining, penalizing, doing whatever. But I think it's more the... The analytical slow player that, that just wants to make sure, and really, it only takes three seconds to hit a shot. You don't have to 
have 45 seconds to think about it. Well, that's I always thought at Beth Page, I think that's where uh, where Brooks got in trouble on the final round when Harold Varner hit the ball and they had to go find the ball. And it, it yeah, looked in like the fourth they, hole. It looked like forever and he's walking through this, like the forest of Beth Page because it's a park, not like a golf exactly. course. And I think that like exhausted, I mean, it's like exhaust, but it, it, it seemed like going, cutting through weeds forever trying to find the ball and that there had to be a time to stop. Yeah, well, you know, Brooks was kind enough. He went down, he watched and tried to help them a little bit the caddies did as well you have thousands of spectators and if you can't find it you can't find it but they were fortunately to find it but then he's got to get in his mental shift to get back to his shot coming up and not worry about what this guy's doing back there and then unfortunately he just made it even worse hitting a poor shot so it seemed like 15 minutes before he got a chance to hit his shot this has been great, and we are just about out of time. Ira, anything left for Warren? Um, no, Warren, I, I really appreciate you. This is a phenomenal. We'd love to have you back. Uh, this is great. I've seen you at the Honda. You're an ambassador of the sport uh, and ambassador, and, and, and I think when you see how Brooks plays and how he conducts himself, uh, and I'm meeting you, you can see where it come, comes from. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just great. I'm so glad you're here and uh, involved in golf, and, and I hope you're going to – there's another Brooks Kepka out there, uh, you know, tomorrow that's going to go out and tee it up. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for the invite. I really appreciate it. Love to come back. And I do have some young ponies in the stable right now that are, <laughs> that are young and, and excited to go. And, you know, we're going to give them every chance they can. When they see players, that, that's one thing. When they see these local players and you see them out, like these, like the PGA Tour players aren't hiding. But, mm-hmm. I mean, the, you go to the Publix and they're getting groceries. And they say, wow, I mean, I think... It, it does. It must motivate these local young golfers because they, they actually say, wow, I could be this person. Absolutely. You know, if you have the dream, let's go ahead and try to make sure that we can live it together. He is Warren Botke, amazing guest. Thank you so much for coming by, PGA Master Professional. Learn more, WarrenBotkeGolf.com. We're about out of time. Ira, where are you going this week? Uh, U.S. Open, tennis. So we're going to do tennis this week. <laughs> I'm excited. I'll see Penn State opens against the Idaho Vandals uh, on Saturday. So I'm going to mix uh, tennis and Penn State football. Thanks so much to Tim Frank, Director of Communications for the NBA. Also, Warren, on behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night, Ira on Sports.